to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to John 17. With apologies to some, and knowing that I am biased, but I love the Navy hymn. So, I also want to say regarding Scarlett's efforts to go to work this summer <laughs> that I was part of the collecting bargaining agreement last night and was trying to get for better benefits and was informed by the supervisor to quit advocating. <laughs> so, trying to get a, you know, retirement deal in it and all that. I guess when I die, I am the retirement deal, so, you know. <clears throat> John 17, would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give you thanks for the pause of another day. Another day, Lord, that we may use our freedom to good. Our freedom to worship. Our freedom to express our thanks and our praise. Our freedom, Lord, to give you all honor and glory. Help us, Lord. Help us to ever be willing to take that opportunity to worship. And Lord, as we stop and look at a passage of Scripture that is well known to us, we pray you would give me the words that are needed for those who have gathered to hear from you today. As we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Prayer is many things. It is petition. It is praise. It is confession. 
One of the things, though, that I don't think we always recognize it to be is that it serves as a reflection on our deepest desires and hopes. We generally don't talk about things that we, in prayer, that we do not think deeply about in us. The high priestly prayer found in this morning's text offered by Jesus occurs moments away from what will be the dawn of a new reality for the disciples, a new reality without Jesus, their leader. And so when we listen in to Jesus' prayer here, we have Jesus' fervent hopes and desires for us as we live in that new reality. So what does Jesus desire for me and you as we live in this reality of waiting for him to return? First, we must focus on the fact that we have been and are being prayed for by the perfect prayer of Jesus. Notice verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. John 17 is divided up into three portions. First, we have Jesus praying for himself. The second portion we have Jesus praying for the disciples as they go forward into the night. And then beginning in verse number 20, he starts to pray for those who will believe in him through the testimony and witness and preaching of the disciples. In other words, he starts to pray for us. Notice that this is a recorded prayer. You know, if you go through the Gospels, you'll find here and there a prayer uh, by Jesus. And of course, we know the model prayer that we've been listening to in the children's sermon for the last few weeks. But this is by far the longest prayer by Jesus that we have on record. It's recorded, in other words, Because he wants us to know the contents of the prayer. He wants us to know that we are prayed for and what that prayer, what his hopes and his desires are for each of us. And we should understand one other thing about this prayer. And that is the fact that this prayer is perfect. You and I do not pray perfect prayers. Our prayers are formed generally through our own self-interest. Our prayers are informed by what we want, by what we think we need. Our prayers are spoken with generally only a little bit of knowledge and not an understanding of the full picture of what is going on. Jesus prays here a perfect prayer. He knows what's going on. 
And so when he prays it and he prays these desires and he prays these hopes for those who will follow the disciples, he is praying the perfect will of God over each of our lives. And so if these are his perfect desires for us as we are to navigate new realities, what are the things we need to continuously pursue as disciples and rest in? It's not simply a matter that we pursue them. It's a matter that we rest in them. We abide in them. We habitate in them. They are who we are. Well, first he tells us that his desire is for us, this next generation, to be unified. Notice verse 21. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the, word may believe, the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as you are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Inherent in Jesus' prayer here is a go-it-alone Christianity. Jesus says here you are made for community. He gives that picture of the Trinity and we'll look a little bit more at that next week. But he gives that picture of the Trinity and he says you are created to be in community. You are to be one even as I am one with the Father. You have to have a unity of purpose. And so we should pause. We should pause this morning and understand that that generally runs contrary to how we act as disciples in the modern world. We should be very wary, beloved, about how tightly we draw our lines of community and cooperation. We do this very often because we think that these lines are necessary for our own protection. These lines are necessary for a purity of thought and possibly of doctrine. Just this week, I heard of the leading candidate for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention say in an interview that he did not want to be part of a convention that was so broad that it allowed a woman to speak in the pulpit even once a year. That is awful tight to me, beloved. That is awful tight. And it draws lines that undermine our overall mission. Because understand, when we draw lines that are just so, so very, very tight, it robs us of the community we need to be undergirded by to make it through the scariness and the unsteadiness of the new reality. 
The new reality, as we have already talked about, is scary. We don't understand it most of the time. And we need help to get through it. We need help so we don't stumble as we go. And so, beloved, we need a, a big base of folks to help us through. And if we have, if we have narrowed our, our lines down to, you know, just a tiny little bit, are we going to have the broad community that we need? Are we? I mean, think about your Sunday school classes and small groups. Small groups and Sunday school classes exist for new realities. They exist so that when your life goes upside down, they can come in and help you. They can take over and undergird you and help you through this time, time and time and time again. Just this week, I saw a, a Sunday school class step in in the midst of a new reality for one of its members and say, we are here, we're here to help. And they did what they needed to do in the moment. That's what community is about. That's why there's the necessity of community. That's why Jesus says, may they be one. But it doesn't stop there. Because the tighter we draw our lines is how we define our community. We are robbed of a future that Jesus says quite clearly is dependent upon the world through our unity believing in him and joining the household of faith because of the unity for community. Did you, did you catch that? That they may be one, just verse 21, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Beloved, there's a lot of things that need to be on the forefront of our evangelistic thrust but a bold witness that is proclaimed through the silent witness of unity is primary. Jesus says very much here, through your unity, through your being one, people will believe that I sent you. People will believe in my message. Jesus says you cannot have division. Why is that? Because people, beloved, outside of these walls are divided enough. And division is confusion. Whether or not we would like to admit that, division is confusion. And the more division you have, the more confusion you have. And all that that does is breed disunity. And you cannot be one even as he and the Father is one if you continuously seek to draw exclusionary lines. But there's one other thing here. Jesus says that people will most assuredly need to know that they are loved. Something that tight exclusionary lines that create community often force people out because they need to know that they can find a home. Verse 22 says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved 
me. When we are one and the world listens to us, the world then understands from us that God loves them. You see, beloved, there are all varieties of people outside of these walls this morning. There may be people inside of these walls who believe that God hates them. They believe that the world as a whole hates them. They do not understand or comprehend what feeling loved is. And when we do not know love, when we do not feel love, we lose our humanity. And Jesus explicitly states here that you and I are key to the world remembering its humanity because we are key to them knowing that they are loved. Jesus essentially says, you stay united, they accept me, and they know that I love them. The whole world remains whole and human, and it is not brimming with hate and vitriol. It's not, beloved, on us pointing outside and saying the world needs to get its life together. It is us on the inside, the church of Jesus Christ, saying we need to get together. We need to sing, as the proverb says, off the same page in the hymn book. And by the way, did you notice in the text and nowhere else in the scripture can I find that there's a plan B? There's not a plan B. Jesus says, you be one. And as you are one, as you are living in community together, you're not drawing all these things that exclude. You're saying, come, come, come. It means that you are showing them love. We must love them, beloved, unconditionally, unreservedly, and unexpectantly. Not expecting them to even love us back. We just love them. Because isn't that the model of what Jesus did? Did Jesus go to the cross expecting something? No, he went to the cross out of obedience to the Father. He went to the cross, I guarantee you, understanding that there was going to be people who would reject him and reject his love. But nevertheless, he went. He did it unconditionally. He didn't try to stay away from it. He did make that great prayer, Lord, take this cup. But he said, if it be your will, not mine. He said, I'm here to go. I'm here to love. I'm here to serve. Beloved, we're called to live the same way. And let me make this point. Because I'm afraid that some may have gotten lost in this. When you say, draw tight lines, understand that, I underst understand that I understand that there need to be lines from time to time. I do. But you know, it's sort of like baseball. Sort of like baseball. I don't know how many of you know much rules about baseball. 
But the American League has a rule called the designated hitter. It means that the pitcher doesn't have to pit to hit. The National League requires its pitchers to hit. I want you to know that I think that the designated hitter rule is an abomination of holy God. I do. You got one guy sitting on the bench, and all he's got to go out there and do is hit. Meanwhile, the pitcher's just throwing all day long. I, th I could give you any number of reasons why I hate the DH. And yet every day I get up and pull for the Baltimore Orioles, which has a designated hitter who, by the way, can't hit. Of course, they got pitchers who can't pitch either, but that's a whole other story. If I drew my line tight, I couldn't be an Oriole. And you say, Pastor Mark, that's frivolous. You would be surprised, beloved, how much frivolous junk has created whole denominations in Christian life. You would be surprised how much frivolous junk has caused churches to be disunified. One of the greatest fights in church I ever saw was at Enfield where we debated over the color of the carpet. No, we didn't debate over the color of the carpet. We debated over the color of the bows on the Christmas wreaths in the sanctuary. Meanwhile, Enfield was such a great place for Jesus that the, the wreaths on the doors of the sanctuary were stolen one night. You see the need for community. But living and thriving in this new reality is hard enough. We recognize that. Doing so in community, though, unified with so much on the line, makes it immensely harder. It is why Jesus wants us to know that he has prayed for our endurance. Verse 24 says this, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Beloved, every time you and I believe that there is too much change, too much new reality, understand that the one in whom Paul said we move and live and have our being has declared here and stated unequivocally that we can endure to see just how great the Father's love is in him. That no matter what changes may occur, he has prayed for us to endure. He has prayed that, it, it would not, that, that, that we would make it to see all that God has given to him. 
In other words, beloved, he says that nothing can knock us off. Jude picked it up best in his doxology when he said that we shall present it faultless before the throne of God. God's ownership of the new reality and Jesus' affirmation of our endurance to the very end should be sufficient encouragement for us, beloved, to run the race into the new reality that God sets before us. He has prayed for us. He has guaranteed our endurance. You know, there's no way on earth I would ever say I would run, I'll say even this, a 5K. I mean, don't I have a runner's body? But if suddenly God said to me, Mark, I don't want you to just run a 5K. I want you to run the Ironman. I want you to run the marathon and do the swimming and do the biking. And Mark, I know that right now you're trying to figure out where to put the defibrillator on the path to bring you back to life. But God, under, Mark, I need you to understand that you're going to make it. You're going to endure, and you're not just going to make it partially across the way. You're going to make it the whole way. And in the end, Mark, you're going to win. Mark, I promise you. I wouldn't even get out there and run in tennis shoes. I'd put on a pair of stinking floor shines just to show it could be done. Why? Because he said it. Beloved, he has said that we can make it. He has prayed for our endurance. But I understand that we have all been beat up. And so the assurance of that endurance may be insufficient to some of us. And so Jesus wants us to remind, wants to remind us two final things in this prayer. Two final abiding things in this prayer. Verse 25 says this. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. He says to them, first, I've told them your name. I have told them your name. Recall, beloved, that the name of God is not something that just is, is handed off. It's not like saying, you know, Uh, His name is Mark or his name is Bubba or his name is fill in the blank. The name of God implies something. We, We just pick names at random. We pick names because we like this character on TV. My name was picked by my grandmother because she saw it in the credits of a television show and liked the spelling. She had no clue that it meant the God of war in the original language. Although over time they have learned. 
the name of God reveals his character. And I understand that in times like this, we sometimes forget the character of God. So I, I just want to take a moment this morning and remind you some things about the character of God. God is able. God is benevolent. He is compassionate. He is a deliverer. He is extravagant. He is faithful. He is gracious. He is holy. He is infinite. He is just. He is kind. He is loving. He is merciful, near, omnipotent, patient, quick, resurrecting, sustaining, truth, unchanging, victorious, way-making, zenial, yearning, and zealous. And if that is not sufficient, remember a few that I left out. He is forgiving, immortal, invisible, caring, righteous, restoring, redeeming, and omniscient, and I could keep going. But isn't that enough character for one day? Isn't that enough character to get you up and say, oh, buddy, <laughs> if he's all those things, and I don't even know the definition of some of those words he said, then I can go do anything. I can endure, though the new reality doesn't look good. I can endure, I can keep going because he is with me. He has never failed me yet. Because ultimately, beloved, remember what his name is. What his name is. I go back to it. Again, Moses said, who should I tell them that sent me? And he says, tell them that the I am sent you. Which means ultimately, beloved, that whatever I need, he is. Whatever I lack, he is. Whatever I want, he is. Whatever I need, he is. I didn't say he was. I didn't say he might be. I said, he says that I have made known your name, which means he is. So the new reality may come, but he is. But just in case you need that little extra thing to push you over. Remember verse 26. I have made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. His love rests in you, beloved. His love. What is his love? His love is one that compels second chances and creates new beginnings. His love is one that reaches across the deepest chasms of time. His love is that which brings light into pitch darkness. His love is that which kisses us with hope and hugs us into peace. His love knows no end. His love reaches where you and I cannot reach and brings up and sets on firm ground that which you and I don't even know where it's buried. His love. And it's in me and it's in you.
with this spiritual espionage that we have had this morning in which we have listened in on, on the prayer of our Lord and we, we know what is in his mind and we know his hopes and his desires and we know that this is his perfect will for us to experience all these things and that all these things are in us. We may not have clear intelligence about what the new reality will look like. We may not understand how to make it through the different changes that come upon us. We may not understand what we have to do in the very next step. But beloved, understand something clear and unimaginably and unmistakably this morning. He is with us. And this prayer is for us going back to last Sunday to get up and go. Here is the instructions. I have prayed for you. This is what I have prayed. It is all there, ready to go. Get up. We don't have to wait. We don't have to, to hem and haul about the new reality. We don't have to, beloved. We can run into it with reckless abandon knowing that he is there with us. And so I ask you one last time. Will you choose God's new reality today? Will you choose it? Knowing his character, knowing his love, knowing all who he is, knowing what he is required of us to do, will you choose it? knowing that his faithfulness has never left us. And even though we may think we may exhaust it today, it is new tomorrow. Even though we may have failed him, and good Lord, have we each failed him. I failed him more than I can count, and it's just 11 o'clock this morning. Though I am not faithful, he is faithful which means that prayer is faithful. Will you choose his new reality today? Let's pray. Lord, you've prayed for us. Now help us be feet to your prayer. Help us be feet to your prayer. And not just offer lip service to it. But say that we really, truly get it. As we embrace the new reality that you are putting before us. Individually. And as a congregation. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please note our schedule has been revised as of April 2021. Please join us on Sunday mornings for worship at 10 o'clock in the sanctuary at 108 Trail 1 in Burlington or on Facebook Live. For more information and resources regarding our church, please visit grovepartchurch.net. 
And remember, grace abound. Thank you.